Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Lios Enchim Anyavu. Greetings, everyone. May the Creator bless you all. And welcome to my podcast, The Good Do E Medicine Podcast. I'll be your host, Pete Rodriguez. All my native people stand All right, guys, welcome to episode, I believe we're on episode number 17. Thank you for listening to the podcast and tuning in. And today we have a very special guest. We are on location here in Studio One here in Tucson, Arizona. And my guest is a tribal member um, of the Yaki tribe. He's a former police officer as well here with the tribe. He's also a veteran of Iraq, and he has two tours there. He has a, a passion that we're going to talk about, um, art. He's, and like I said, we're here in his studio. He's, I believe he's the exhibit curator here at Studio One. And ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present Mr. Augustine Lopez, or Agi. Welcome, and thank you for coming on the podcast. It's uh, Monday. It's President's Day. We had the day off. The, uh, the tribe is closed today. I put it on my Facebook page, the Essential non-essential so police and fire you as a police officer you were once a police officer but um but i guess we could start maybe can you tell us a little bit maybe about yourself and also growing up maybe did you grow up here in tucson yeah i i uh, grew up in tucson i was actually raised on old pascua Um, oh okay Mm -hmm. so i'm from the old pascua community um so i lived there for until the age of 12 years old um, during that time, that's when Pasco was expanding and building more housing. So um, my mom ended up getting a, a house there, so we ended up going to New Pasco. So it was a different transition, you know, right. from the city to to the rural area. Around what time was that? What year? This is 1987. 1987. Yeah, 1987. So I, I grew up in the 80s and the nice. 90s, you know. That was my time. Yeah, I'm an 80s kid, too. <laughs> I moved to Tucson, like, see, around that time, 89. So so you went from Old Pasqua to New Pasqua. Yes. Okay. How was that transition, was it? It was different, man. It, it really hurt because I was so, you know, going to Ritchie Elementary, which is the the school I went to. Right. It's you know, right. Yeah. and having my friends and my family, everybody from Old Pasqua, I was related to to a lot of people there. And just knowing that I had to move to another place, and I was like, man, I don't even know anybody here, <laughs> you know, to make new friends, you know, I got to meet new cousins. Uh, it was just, it's a whole different thing, man. It was way different, but it was exciting also because we were getting our own house, you know, we weren't in a mm-hmm. small shack, you know, over there in Old Pasco, you know, all congested and, you know, knowing that I was going to have my own room at the house, you know. I was like, okay, we can make this work. <laughs> That's awesome. So after you moved in, what about your school? I know um, you said you became a police officer. Maybe we could touch touch a little bit on that because that's that's kind of well to me. I've always wanted to be a cop, actually, but that's another story. I actually tried out for the Pima County Sheriff at one time, oh. but I didn't make it. <laughs> but maybe we could talk about your 
maybe your career as a police officer. You know, how did you get into the police? Did you always want to be a police officer? Yeah, actually, it was always something. Well, in El Pasqua, there was uh, every time we walked to school at Richie, at the entrance of the gate there, Richie was an officer. Mm-hmm. And I believe his name was Officer Pereira. Real, real nice guy. And he would always pass us uh, baseball cards. Always really nice, always there for us and stuff. And, you know, and, and seeing him every day and just having something positive because, you know, in my home, it wasn't. There was no positive anything in my home, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of negative and a lot of stuff that was going on at home. So, you know, to have someone there in early morning just to see someone smile at you and give you some positive, you know, words and give you a baseball card, it just really touched me. And I'm like, man, one day I want to be just like him. You know, I want I want to do the same thing he's doing. So mm-hmm. that kind of gave me, it, it, it sparked that idea of like, man, I want to be a cop one day. And right. You know, it was just, you know, when you're in elementary, it's just a dream, you know. But I guess that thought and that idea just stuck in my head until there was time for me to become a police officer. Nice. Did, um, and when did you, like, was it, like, out of high school? Because I, I know we have, I, I work at a, I don't know if the listeners know, but I work with the human resources at the tribe. And I've been there for many, many years. And I used to recruit for uh, police officers for the yeah. tribe um, a couple years back. But anyways, was it like right after high school, did you become a police officer? Was that your first goal that you no, wanted to do? Actually, no. I, I, It really didn't hit until, like I, I had the thought, like I said, but it just didn't hit until later. Mm-hmm. Because what happened is I graduated high school and I ended up... Um, going into the casino, you know, working as a security guard at the casino. And um, and I knew that I wanted to get experience, you know, as far as, you know, the law enforcement side. So the security was a great fit. And the casino had just became the casino at that time. It was like new. So like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a security guard. And and then I did that. And then I ended up hanging around with the wrong crowd, you know, drinking and partying. And I was just like what am I doing, man? I'm like not doing it. You know, I'm working as a security guard. Yes, it's cool, but I'm, I'm, I'm becoming a party animal and all I want to do is party and drink. Uh-huh. So I just decided that, you know, Hey, I'm 19 years old. I'm not, you know, I'm not at that age for a police officer. Maybe I should do something else, get away from, from all this. So I decided to join the military at 20. So it was just like, you know, sitting there looking at myself partying all the time. I was like, nah, I need to get out of here. I need to, Take me myself away from this whole place. I see. Okay. So I ended up uh, joining the military at 20 years old, and I'm like, you know, it wasn't for me. It was the military wasn't for a career. It was just to get away, you know, take a break. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do reserves. So I was like, you know, hey, I go to basic training in my school for three months, four months, and then I'll come back and just do the weekend warrior thing. And that's basically what it, what it was is the weekend warrior thing, and then just. Uh, when I finished my training, three months, um, I came back to the reservation, and then I was like, nah, I'm not going to go back to the casino. So I applied as a police dispatcher at Pasqua. Okay. So that was my first foot in the door, um, was dispatching. So I did that for a while. Um, so that was your first yeah. job here with the tribe? Yeah, that was my first job at the tribe, wow. you know, other than the casino. But, yeah, I, I went into dispatching, and I did dispatching for about... I think it was about a year, and um, 
and I had the opportunity with Pasqua to go to the police academy, so they sent me to uh, the DPS academy. I, I forgot what was the name. Aletsi, mm-hmm. I believe. Uh, yeah, and I went there, and I was in class with um, with the current chief, Michael Valenzuela. Oh, me and him were in the same right. class. But when I went into the academy, you know, the physical part was easy for me. It was really easy and because of my military background. But it was the the bookwork that killed me. You know what I mean? I wasn't taking it serious, and I just I lasted there for one month. <laughs> one okay. month, I was like, oh, I ended up getting uh, um, kicked out for uh, academics. You okay. Know? So I was like, oh man. So I was like, well, what am I gonna do next? So the tribe said, ah, you can come back here and be a dispatcher. You know, mm-hmm. try it again later. You know, you'll have your opportunity. So I was like, okay. So I did the dispatching, and then um, I had an opportunity to be a supervisor, um, dispatcher, and in, in sales okay. uh, with that Thantham mm-hmm. Nation. So TO. So I got the opportunity, applied, and they gave me the job right away. Nice. Yeah. So I was like, cool. I'm gonna be a supervisor, and you know, I'm gonna teach other people how to do. Because I, you know, when I when I get into a job, I take it serious. You know, I'm, I'm like, yeah, we we can do this. We can make this changes. This this you know all that. So I brought that with the TO, and they saw, you know, I started setting up trainings in the state of Arizona for dispatching and, you know, the escalation of, you know, the the stuff you hear on the phone and how to, you know, combat the, the depression part of it and, you know, you know, train the dispatchers how to deal with all that stuff. So I did that, and then the opportunity came again. One of the lieutenants came and asked me, you know, why are you doing the supervisor stuff? Just be a cop. So I was like, okay. He goes, I go, what do I have to do? He goes, just apply, and next week the, the it's going to open. You're going to be go to the academy in, in that week. And they sent me to Saletzi, which is the TPD academy mm-hmm. here in town. And I went through the whole academy and became a police officer with the TOPD. Nice. So yeah. Okay, so you went to the TOPD first. TOPD first was my first opportunity as a police officer, yeah. Very nice. So so you went to the military first. Yeah. And then you became a police officer. Yeah. So, yeah, and it was, uh, when I joined the military, that was back in 95, so the war, none of the wars were happening. Nothing was happening at all. So okay. it was just all peacetime. But so, you had two tours over there. Yeah, and uh, yeah, after I did, the, when I did the police work with cells. I stayed with Sales for a year and a half mm-hmm. uh, because I wanted to go back to Pasqua. You know, I, I you know I did a good job in Sales, but they weren't. I felt that you know they're not my people. You know, I want to do something for my people. Right. That's so I ended important. up going to Pasqua and got the opportunity, and they hired me there. And I was like, yes, you know, I'm back with my people. I can be a role model to everyone here, and just do my job. Mm-hmm. So when I came back to Pasqua, you know, that's what I did. You know, I did my job. You know. I, you know, talk to the community and stuff. But, you know, when you're a police officer, not a lot of people give you positive, you know. They're not really positive with the police. And, you know, it was just brings tension. So a lot of tension was building up as far as with me. It was, it was that I was arresting my family. I was arresting childhood mm. friends because they were all people that I grew up with. And I, okay. I had to do my job. And right. that's what I did is do my job. So what I did is I just... You know, things were popping up, popping up. Mm-hmm. And I ended up uh, getting fired as a police officer, and um, which devastated me. It hurt me a lot. And I was like, wow, what am I going to do next? You know, and, you know, after being 
you know, off the force, again, the whole thing of the military popped up. Because at this time, my reserve time had just finished. Mm -hmm. I had just finished, and I got fired, like, probably a month after uh, my my reserve, my enlistment was done with Mm -hmm. the Army. So I was sitting there, and I'm like, man, what am I going to do? Either stay and try other departments or try something different. So I ended up, uh, you know, 9-11 had happened. Mm -hmm. And so everybody was very patriotic at that time and wanted to join, wanted to join. And I was like, hey, I just finished the reserves. Maybe they take me back. So I went to to my recruiter, and they sent me to Phoenix. And they said, yeah, you got the opportunity to go to Hawaii, first duty station, go to Hawaii. Wow. And uh, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna get deployed. It's gonna happen, mm-hmm. and you you know that. And I go, yeah, and that's the reason why I want to do this. So, from being an officer helping the people, it turned to going into the military and helping the country. You know, helping our country, helping another country, and especially with 9/11 on our minds, it just felt that that was the best thing, and the, the, that was the best thing I should I should do, mm-hmm. and I did. So I ended up in Hawaii right away. I was drafted. I'm not drafted. Uh, I was deployed. Yeah, they they deployed me to Iraq, and that was in 2004. So you know, my tours in Iraq were you know, I was a uh, my job in a, my job in the army was truck driver, 88 Mike, mm-hmm. and 88 Mikes were really needed at that time during 04 because of supplies and. You know, taking weapons and ammo and stuff. But mm-hmm. so my first, my first job was to learn everything about the truck, but also learn everything about my weapon because I was going to be the gunner. And um, so I did. They, they trained us, and they put us out on the road. You know, and it, it, you know, I saw a lot. You know, a lot of stuff happened. You know, IEDs were just coming out. Uh, indirect fire was happening. You know, motors were happening. It was just very chaotic and one of my first incidents that I that I had was um, they put me on the gun and they they put me in charge of rear security Mm -hmm. and rear security is basically my job is to keep cars away from the convoy and our convoys were four gun trucks with 30 TCN vehicles which is like semi trucks so we would have one in the front two in the middle and one in the back Mm -hmm. so my job was just to scan the area push the cars back, make sure nobody gets into our convoy, you know, especially with car bombs and stuff. So the first night I went out, and I always talk, I talk about this incident because I've I've dealt with it and I've talked about it so much that it desensitizes right. that feeling and stuff. But yeah. this is what changed a lot with me and in the military and made me see things different. And that's why I talk about this incident. So we were on convoy, and I was stationed in Tikrit, which is Saddam's hometown. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was in between Baghdad and Mosul, which is northern Iraq. So I was in the triangle of death. And they threw me in the truck, and they said, okay, convoy is only two and a half hours. You're going up north. You're going to you know, take supplies, drop them off, and then come back. So we got on the truck, and it was like about 30 minutes into the convoy. It's late night. It's like around 3 in the morning. I'm like 2, 3 in the morning. And I'm just sitting there, you know, just, you know, looking at the stars, looking at the moon. And, you know, I'm just like, wow, this is crazy. I'm in, I'm in Iraq. I'm over here in a convoy. I'm like, you know, just like all these feelings everywhere. Yeah. 
And uh, all of a sudden, this car comes up. And, and you can see the headlights from far, far away. And I'm, like, looking at these lights. And I'm like, man, those lights are getting closer and closer. So I'm just looking at this car, and I'm sitting there smoking a cigarette. And I'm like, right, you know, it's, not, it's probably going to turn. Or, you know, and all my thoughts are like, oh, it's going to turn. It's going to go somewhere else. It's going to get away and stuff. It didn't. Kept going, kept going, kept going. And uh, as I got closer, I started waving. We do uh, hand signals. Um, I shot a flare, used my flashlight. I did everything I did to try to stop that vehicle. And um, still kept coming. And back in Iraq, there's a, at that time in 04, there was no, uh, no uh, rules of engagement, which means you shoot, you shoot to kill. So they didn't have no policy or anything on how we were supposed to do things. Mm -hmm. So as the car got closer, I jumped up, got on my gun, and all of a sudden I froze. And I'm like frozen. Like, I'm like, what do I do? You know, I felt like I was stuck in mud. And all of a sudden my sergeant jumps up, which is, he's in the cab area. Yeah. There's like a turret that's open. He jumps up, hits the car, the, the truck, and says, Go and shoot, you know, and not like that, you know, he said bad words, you know, yeah. shoot those mother. And then I was like, all right. And then I just shot and I shot the windshield from driver's side to passenger. And all of a sudden I just seen the body, the people in the car just slumped down. The vehicle just pulled off to the road and I sat down and I'm like, and all I see is that car still there. And I'm just looking. And I'm in my mind, I'm just like, man, I just killed somebody. I just killed somebody. I was like, whoa. You know, my sergeant, uh, we went to on post finally after the convoy. And I sat mm -hmm. there and my sergeant comes up, he comes up to me because he notices I'm like really quiet and stuff. And he's like, he goes, are you okay? And I go, yeah. And I go, I think I just killed somebody. He goes, you know, I'm going to tell you something and you better take it. It's either them or you. And I was like, okay. And he goes, because that car could have blown you up, could have blown me up, could have killed everybody in the convoy. Wow. You just, you did your job protecting us. Mm -hmm. You know, they decided to do what they want, you know, by not stopping. That, that was their decision, but don't worry about that. So it was just, it's just weird because the reason why I talk about that incident is because that's always stuck in my head and it's always, it's a, it was always the cause for my PTSD mm -hmm. because I'm diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, so, but it, it, instead of, you know, it, throughout time in my military and then coming out when I retired military, cause I ended up being retired for, for PTSD. So um, the medical retirement stuff, that incident changed the way my view of looking at things were. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I did. I, I did what I had to do to save people, you know, my people, myself. But that little incident was something that I needed to turn around. I needed to turn that negative into something positive. And that's how my way of thinking after that, my way of thinking was like everything that I'm going to do from now on is to be positive and to do something good for someone else. You know, it's... It's not, I'm not trying to fix what I did wrong. I'm just basically 
directing my whole life to something different, something bigger, you know? And mm-hmm. if I can do that or maybe change somebody's life or do something better for someone else, then I can do that, you know? And that incident is a, was that little seed that was planted in my head to do things good. Currently in, uh, enrolled at the Southwest University of the Visual Arts. Okay. Um, the reason why I went to school is because when I, when I got retired mm-hmm. uh, for PTSD, I mean, I ended up having a, a run with alcohol. You know, I became a big alcoholic, mm-hmm. and my liver had failed. So, and um, when my liver failed, I was like, man, you know, I can't drink no more. What am I going to do? So I got into art school. I was like, mm-hmm. man, I, I've always wanted to go to Suba, you know, the story um we had a field trip from richie back when i was eight years old and we went to the art center which mm-hmm. is suba now and um we did a tour we were looking at everything around and and i grabbed my teacher and i pulled the shirt and i was like hey teacher one day i'm gonna come to this school guaranteed i'm, I'm gonna come to this school so you know, the whole time with with liver failure. And I was like, man, I haven't used my GI Bill. I have the GI Bill. I can go to school and do something. You know, be a psychologist. That's what I wanted to do. Oh. Be a psychologist and study the criminal mind because I had all the experience with the military and police. And I was like, that thought from Suva from school, I was like, ah, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go check that out first, you know. Really quick, what is Suva for some of our listeners? I don't know what that is, but uh, Suva is the Southwest University of the Visual Arts. So Southwest? it's just short. Okay. Yeah, so gotcha. it's just short. Okay. So yeah, I, I went to Suva, and then um, I told them, yeah, I, I had a tour here when I was a kid, and this is something I've always wanted to do, and and it's an art school. So I've always liked to draw. I always liked to paint, draw, and stuff. When I was a kid, I used to do it all the time, and I was like, I'm gonna try it out. So I did it, and I really loved the way I can focus on 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 paper, and you know every line that I did, it kept me, it kept my mind centered, you know, because yeah, I was dealing with PTSD still, I mean, I still am till to mm-hmm. this day, but that was the only thing I ever seen that made me focus, you know. I mean, even though I take medications and all this, none of that really worked worked for me, but that focus did. So I started focusing on drawing and painting, and I tried, and I did sculpture. Mm-hmm. So in school, they teach you everything in the first year, drawing, sculpture, painting. And I got into, they gave us photography. And then, um, so when I picked up photography, I started looking at the lens, and, it, and I noticed that when I look through the lens, I'm looking out on the world, you know what I mean? I'm taking pictures of the world. You know, it's making me focus as far as my mind, but I'm also focusing it on something else. So every frame that I took, every person or picture or thing or flower, I can see that beauty in every picture. And I was like, wow, man, look at this. I can create a story with this or I can do this with this, you know, and and it just really, and that's what I said, you know what, I'm just going to major in this. In photography, you know, I think photography is something that I can 
take photos of, but also I can report the stories of the people and I can make a difference in something. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, you know, but I know that I can bring out the beauty in something, but also bring out the beauty and the story behind that picture. You know what I mean? Right. So, you know, the last three years I've been working uh, just photography and my minor sculpture, but I mainly focus on photography and I'm working with film and digital. So I go back and forth. But um, as far as with right now with my thesis, I'm working on an identity uh, piece and it's, it's pretty, pretty tough struggle. You know, it's been a struggle for me because I'm part of two worlds. I'm part of the Native American world, but also I'm part of the the military world, you know, and both of those don't balance. You know, I mean, it, you know, a lot of Native Americans do join the military, but they go into a, they go into the military and they're strangers in that world because, you know, of who we are. Right. And then when you come back and you go back home, you're a stranger in your own, your world from your people because you're, you're part of the the military side. So in doing my piece, and you know, I have to focus a lot of my photos on myself, a lot of uh, symbolism with you know with my military hat that I have on. So and you know, I'm trying to put everything together to create a story. And we have to create 15 photos. So I'm like trying to like, how do I start this identity? Do I start from childhood? Do I start from the military and the Native American, how do I do this? So the struggle is, is just like, you know, it's just like, what do I want to bring out from these photos? What kind of story did I want to tell um, the people, the my fellow students about myself? And it's, which, which is really tough too, because I'm touching um, a lot of points of stuff that I don't want to talk about or I don't even want to bring up, you know? And it's just like, wow, <laughs> how do I do this? So it's just, you know, I'm balancing it yeah. and struggling. So the thesis has to do with identity. Yeah, yeah, my thesis. I picked identity. You, but you can, yeah, there's a whole list of uh, different things that you can pick. And I just said, I'm going to pick identity and memory. Uh-huh. So it's basically identity and memory that I've chose. And you're almost done with the with that senior year, right, at the yeah, school? Yeah, I'm almost done. I should be graduating in May. What do you plan here with the, I know we're in the in the studio one mm-hmm. what are your plans here with working with the with the studio one here yeah, with the studio this is actually Maybe you can tell us a little bit about you know what's going to go on or yeah. what do you want you know to accomplish with the with the studio I know I saw some pictures online I think you have a you have a Facebook page where yeah. people can find you if they want to you know get in touch with you maybe they want to talk to you maybe a little bit of more about you know what you're talking about sharing us with this podcast and i usually leave links at the notes of the podcast okay so if somebody wants to i don't know maybe wants to talk to you about your experiences or something like that so i know you have a facebook maybe other social media yeah. um places have you instagram. have yeah, instagram yeah, as well facebook okay so what do you want to do with the uh with the studio one this project yeah. well with studio one it was actually um it was weird because I had came here. It was uh, last year on Halloween night. You know, I went out. You know, went out and I met Paco. Paco is the actual uh, owner of the studio. Okay. And um, we ended up, you know, hanging out. And then we came back here to hang out, and we were talking. I was like, 
And it was like this. It was really actually. It needed more renovation. They, they renovated this place uh, since, but um, before it was just all everything was thrown. And I'm like, Paco, what, what is this? He goes, Oh, it's my studio. We have um, meetings here and music here. And I'm like, So I come, I come. It's not fixed up. You guys having stuff now? And he goes, Yeah, we're having uh, Ricardo. Um, one of his friends, Ricardo, is uh -huh. like, he's having an exhibition, and we're gonna clean it all up and renovate it. Okay. Before. Before then, but we're gonna have an exhibition, and and I only introduced you, to Ricardo, and Ricardo, and and I, you know, we talked, and he, you know, I told him I was a photographer, so Ricardo's like, hey, bring two photos, and we'll put it in the exhibition, and the exhibition was on Ambrose Nogales, which is like, la frontera, it was okay. about the border, and this is how I got involved with the borders stuff. So it was a uh, a group of all artists, um, uh, from Nogales um, all the way up the corridor, Santa Cruz. All the way up from Tubac to Patagonia to Tucson, you know, yeah. and we all exhibited our work here. So okay. I was like, okay, cool. And then Paco was here, and then Paco one night came up to me and he goes, hey, bro, after this exhibition, I'm going to go back home. I go, what? I go, you don't live here? He goes, no, I don't live here. I'm, you know, I, I have the studio, but I go, who runs your studio? Who's the one that takes care of the studio when you're gone? He goes, uh, no one. I, you know, I just set up meetings through the internet. And I go, where, where do you live? He goes, oh, I live in China. <laughs> and oh, I'm wow. like, and I was like, you go, China? He goes, yeah, I only come here every six months. So I'll be here in six months and, you know, six months after that. So I was like, you know what, Paco, let's do this. I go, why don't you let me, you know, since I'm in art school, I can get artists to come and exhibit their work. Uh -huh. And this is the idea that came up. I can exhibit their work and then... You know, I can keep the studio running for you. You know what I mean? And and I'll manage it and stuff. And then that's when Paco was like, okay, I'll make you the arts exhibit uh, curator. You bring in the artist. Mm -hmm. We'll do the exhibitions, you know, pay the rental fee, which is a small fee. You know, it's just 250 bucks a month for the whole month. Two weeks is 150 So it's, it goes lower. But... But that's what I was like, man, I can do that. I can promote other artists, you know what I mean? And then eventually... I can have my show and you know do an exhibition of my sh my stuff mm -hmm. in the studio too, you know. But I was like, you know, I was like, I had all these ideas. My mind was just going and going. So we agreed, you know, I'll be the the art exhibit uh, curator. So I started doing that, and then um, we ended up uh, last this past month. We just had the Edward Curtis Legends exhibition, which is on my Facebook and yeah, um, the that. photos mm -hmm. and all that. So we just finished that, and right now we're promoting what what our idea as a studio is. We the, the idea from Paco and the studio is that we want to represent the misrepresented people that are not represented in the community, mm -hmm. and we want them to bring their art, which is you know Native Americans, Chicano, um, gender, you know people that are not represented enough, mm -hmm. you know especially in the art world. You know in the art world, it's all about you know, the old stuff, you know, Picasso, all that, you mm -hmm. know, we, we want to represent just normal people. Mm -hmm. So we have an exhibition, uh, Mexicana that's going to be exhi exhibiting this month in March. Um, her name is Esther Rogers. So she's, uh, she's going to do a lot of artwork with, uh, I call it a Tucson art, which is like, you know, Flocorico, the culture, which, and then also, 
the birds, the animals, nature, you know, everything that's involved with Tucson, you know, Salvador's buildings and stuff. So we're going to be promoting her. And then eventually, I've been talking with Gabriel Ayala. Gabriel Ayala is a really big force in the tribe as far as his musical. I, I don't know if you know. Gabriel. Yes. I've met him yeah. a couple of times. He does artwork and yeah. music. He's yeah, amazing he started artist. doing artwork on ledgers and then on musical notes. And he puts Native American, you know, the old style Native American art. Mm-hmm. But there's like a contrast between the culture and then the music. And it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool art. Yeah. I really love it. I love what he's, was what he's bringing and, you know, into his work. So I'm working with him and trying to get him in April. And uh, so a couple projects, yeah, a couple of projects, March. and uh, I haven't really talked to. I, I passed out my cards at the art uh, when I met you. Met you at the art fair in yeah. Pasqua. Mm-hmm. I met with five artists. You know, Mario Valencia, Luis uh, Rodriguez, uh, two female artists. I, I one is Lourdes Escalante, and then a male named Sawaki. Right. Yeah, and they're all like. They do a lot of the cultural art that I really want to bring into here, like Chicano culture with the low riders, with uh, murals, and you know I want to bring the mural stuff. There's a mural out here in, on the side mm-hmm. that me and Paco have been working on. Oh, we've got to finish it up, but it's pretty pretty neat if you check it out. I'm about to go check it out. Right yeah, now. so we're working on that mural. So it, all that work that I saw at the art fair is really exactly what the studio wants to bring. Okay, here. So I'm trying to get them to to. You know, I got all their work, so but I'm just trying to get the commitment on when they can do it. So I have spaces filled all the way until December. Nice to to get people in. Very so. nice, very nice. Maybe I'll bring some of my artwork here. Yeah, let me see. Let's do it. Yeah, I want to do a collaboration I show painted, or a solo show. I haven't painted in a long time. I keep telling my wife, I'm gonna, I gotta start painting. I gotta start painting. I got my my big old <clears throat> table, and then I got my paints. I got everything, but. I love doing um, nature because I love the outdoors. Oh, so I like yeah. taking sunsets and pictures. I'm always near the church on Javier. I'm always taking picture nature photography. Wow! I love taking. I just learned uh, how to take lightning photography, which was really interesting. Oh, my God. And I just use this little old Canon camera I have right here. But oh, uh, <laughs> it's coming out okay. But um, that's that's pretty cool. I love it. But yeah, it would be nice. I would love to come to some of these exhibits. I know I missed the last one. Yeah. I saw your post on Facebook, and it looked yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, it was, it was a really good show. It was uh, a great learning experience also because it was my first show and I ever did, yeah. but it was big. Yeah. Like, it wasn't just a little small show. This was big. We had everything filled up. I saw that. Top to bottom. And, it looks so different in here. You now know, you're and, transitioning uh, to another The owner exhibit. of the, the Edward Curtis uh, Legends is, yeah. uh, you know, he's 74 years old, so uh-huh. he's stuck in his way. So I'm like, you know what, this is... This is your studio. You do however you want to do it. So I let him just do how he wanted to do his exhibition, and he did. And he he liked it. He liked the experience. Mm-hmm. But um, it was a, it's a good it's, it's a good thing because what it did for me and Roger that's his name Roger, the Edward Curtis Legends is that we're gonna be working on a big project uh, later on in the future mm-hmm. where we're gonna take where he, he what he does is he travels powwow circuits. Okay. And shows his work, Edward Curtis' work. So every time that he puts up a show at a powwow, descendants of the people on the photos come up and tell him, hey, that's wow. my great, 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 great uncle. So he met Geronimo's uh, 
fifth great grandson and um, mm-hmm. Chief Joseph's uh, great 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 granddaughters and stuff. So me and him were talking, and he wants to do a descendants project where I take the photos of the descendants, and then we 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 do the photos. You know, we're not saying we're gonna dress them up like the way the old ways mm-hmm. were. We're gonna dress them up in the way they want them, but we're gonna they're gonna represent their their family members in these photos. So it's the Descendants Project. That's so, gonna be nice. When is that? We're gonna start in the summer okay. since I have school, and my break is summertime. We're gonna I'm gonna travel with him throughout the country in powwow circuits, mm-hmm. and. Um, so it's going to be a, a neat project. It's a big project, but it's, it's going to be neat because I get to capture, you know, I, I get to work under the Edward Curtis spirit, mm-hmm. you know, as what what he started, but also I can make it into a Native American view, you know, a Native American taking the photos of Native Americans, mm-hmm. which makes it authentic, which makes it where people are going to be like, oh, wow, you know, a Native American took these pictures. And instead, it takes away that stigma of, of what society, you know, what we've been going through society. Oh, this white guy just wants to do this so he can get money from, you know, you know what I mean? There's just stuff that, that, that we want to work together with and the Native American aspect and the Native, Native American uh, vision. Yeah, it sounds really good. That's another reason I started uh, the podcast because you always hear there's not many, I guess, Native representation, yeah. whether it's tribal, Yaki, other tribes. And I was looking and researching and there's... Native podcast, indigenous podcast, there wasn't any. There's maybe like a handful. And I'm like, shoot, I'm gonna start my own podcast. Yeah, we just we cool. just we just do it, you know, we just start doing it. It was like June of two thousand nineteen last year. I didn't know what I was doing. We just <laughs> I just knew it had to be done. But I like that idea, the descendants yeah, project. Descendants project. It's kinda like I want to do something like that as well, but with the podcast. But I want to interview tribal. It doesn't have to be all yeah. tribal from the Yaki, but I want to interview elders, people oh, that yeah. want to tell their stories about past. You know, oh, you're going to capture it through photos. Through photos yeah. I want to capture it with audio, and I want to have them sit down and talk about, you know, the early days or even, you know, just whatever they want to share. The Yaki yeah. elders or even other tribal elders, because a lot of it is never captured. It's never captured. Never they tell happened. stories. You you sit down and chat with your nana, your tata, or exactly. your great, great. And I'm like, God, I wish I could record this. Exactly. But now I have the means yeah. of recording it. Yeah. And we could even film it. Um, it's This little one's being filmed right now, but maybe we can share some of the video footage and maybe we can put some of this footage on on a, I have a YouTube channel, but um, I can share some of the, at least some of the clips, but I want to do something like that. Exactly. But uh, actually, I talk about it in another project it's called Itom Loturia, which is our Yaki truth. Yeah, so I want to do something like that. So I love that idea. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly, me and you share the same vision. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, different medias, but it's, it's the same vision. Yeah. And that's what, that's, that's what this whole thing is about is because, you know, being Yaki, being native in this, in this world, a lot of us are losing the culture. You know, I didn't grow up learning the language. I, I still don't know the language. I know certain words here, here, and here because it was never taught to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And when I was with my mom, you know, she got into drug addiction and ended up passing away with it. But I was actually pushed into foster care with mm-hmm. Pasqua. And, 
every home that I went, I never had a chance to to actually really learn, you know, and live in a normal home. I was always put in different places, so I was never taught anything except, you know, you're going to go here, you're going to go here. So everything that I did is I taught myself, you know, my morals, my values is something that I picked up on my own and what I learned from books and TVs because I love to read. So we were talking about the uh, the vision, kind of similar ideas, preserving the culture, Native American, indigenous cultures. You got your photography, working on your thesis, some really ni- neat projects coming up for you. Wow, that sounds amazing. Seems like you're doing a ton of yeah. things. So I know we're at the, I don't know if you want to talk about it a lot, but I think it's really important. I know we're at the... Uh, Festival of the Arts earlier this year that's held here at the Yaki Tribe. I know we don't want to get too much into politics, but you told me, I don't know if you want to talk about it, you said you're, you also are running for council, maybe a council seat here with the, uh, with the tribe. Yeah, Not yeah. to get too much into it, but yeah. how, how, did, how did that come about? Is that part of the giving back or leadership? It's- yeah, it's a part of, yeah, it's a, now it's a part of uh, giving back, yeah. you know, but like I said, when I was growing up, I had this list. Oh, and, was that um, on yeah, your list? Yeah, I had this list. I'm like, I'm going to go to this art school. I'm going to go to police officer. I'm going to be in military. You, I'm gonna, you know, so I had this whole list uh-huh. and I'm accomplishing a lot of it on this list and tribal councils one. Oh, neat. And I was just like, uh you know, maybe it's, it might be time it's for me, time, yeah. you know, to to try to make a difference. And and that's why I decided that, you know, maybe, you know, maybe this is a calling for me. Maybe this is something that I, at this time, you know, since I'm doing so much good with, with, with the art and the art world and, you know, with border issues and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's time to bring all that back to the community. You know, and it's, 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 for me, it's not, it's not, be, now it's not because of the list or, you know, oh, yeah, bucket list kind of thing. Yeah. It's more, more is that, you know, I want to be a role model. I want to okay. be a role model to the people, to the, to the kids, to the youth. Mm-hmm. And what the tribe had done for me when I was young, you know, especially with foster care. Yeah, it was, you know, it was a bad spot at that time for me. But in, in reality, it was actually good for me because, I ended up in a good home, you know, in foster care, and they took care of me, and they they made me, you know, realize that I had potential in myself and everything. So now it's time for me to bring that back to the people and show the people that I'm a success story. You know, I can say, you know, I went through the foster care system. I, I was an alcoholic. My mom was a drug addict. You know, all this stuff. I turned it into a positive thing. You know, and that's what I want to be for the people. Is mm-hmm. You know, not necessarily a role model, but I want to be that 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 little light of hope that right. if if I can do it, if he can do it, I can do it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And show these, show the kids, show the people that, hey man, he did it, man. We can do it. We right. can we can become successful. Mm-hmm. You know. And I go on the reservation and I see the res, and you know I haven't been there a lot. And even in my military days, I was gone for seven years, you know, mm-hmm. when I went to the military. I came back and it was still the same. You know, it was like, oh, man, same people are still doing the same thing. They're still doing this here, doing this here. They're drinking here. I'm like, nothing has changed, you know. Yeah. I go, man. I go, wow. How can I make a difference? You know what I mean? Make a difference, yeah. Yeah, how can I make a difference? And, and, and with me, making a difference is just 
being a human doing human things for for other humans Mm -hmm. which is being the positive person to help change someone else's life you know i love the changes that the tribe has gone with 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 the enterprise with the casino Mm -hmm. and with everything you know that's positive for us but i don't want to be looked down as a tribe like oh indians oh they have casinos no i want them to know about the people the culture what we've been through, our history, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't want to lose that for the the image of the casino kind of thing. You know, like you said, and this, you know, it's just something that I've always wanted to do is just to, you know, bring good into someone else. Mm-hmm. And even if it doesn't, you know, even if I don't get elected, as long as I know that I attempted to do something good and that I, I put all my effort in it. And mm-hmm. that's the gratification that I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. And people are still going to look and be like, oh, yeah, you did that. I remember, you know. Right, right. Which is good, you know. That's one thing I, I, I like to urge. Actually, I was talking to a young gentleman. <clears throat> He's a tribal member as well. And he mm-hmm. says, and I talked to him at work, and I said, do you have a podcast? I said, I have a podcast. He goes, oh, my God, I always wanted to start a podcast. Oh, and I told him. Do it. Just do it. You know, you want to be that, you know, you want to get people motivated and get them doing things. Like you said, they keep doing the same thing. You know, some people, you know, they want to do that. They're they're happy, which is good. But I want to, you want to make that difference. So I told this young kid, hey, I'll I'll show you how to do a podcast. I'll I'll lend you my equipment. I'll I'll do whatever you need to do. But I want you to start your own podcast. I, I want him to get motivated. It's a young kid about. 25 i said just do it just yeah. do it you won't regret it wow. and you start doing your first one and your second one but yeah i know what you mean you want to yeah. make a difference in uh exactly and it's, in somebody's life yeah yeah back in high school actually i was talking to someone about this back in high school i was like 15 years old mm-hmm. the housing department had a program where we can volunteer it's called the youth mentor program okay so it was uh myself elijah garcia francisco muñoz mm-hmm. and uh sandra gonzalez we were uh, made into mentors through the housing. Nice. So uh, Robert Valencia, our actual our chairman now, mm-hmm. was actually our boss. Oh. <laughs> so it was cool because they taught us about video equipment and, you know, how to create PSA videos, you know, public yeah. service announcements. So we had um, we had a gathering where the, the, the youth in the community will come. We'll teach them the cameras. And then we'll start doing little commercials on, like, say no to drugs, go to school, don't stay out of gangs. It was, like, it was cool. But it was just, like, that one experience, man, it was, like, man, that's, I can do this the rest of my my whole life, you know. It's just help the youth, help the kids do something good, you know what I mean, and prevent something, you know. Mm -hmm. So why not take a risk, you know what I mean? Why not take a risk and do something good? You know, Mm -hmm. we're so used to doing negative stuff, you know, we're so used to being on the negative side of things and be like, ah, I don't like it, I don't like this, I don't like that, I don't like that. Why not turn that into something positive to do something good, you know? Do something good for someone else, you know what I mean? Right. And that's the whole, when I do something or when I do a project, when I do work with my art, when I work with anything, that's what I do is I put my heart into it because I want to put the best and the most positive stuff into that to make a difference, you know? Right. And it's not always going to happen, you know? But at least I attempted. And that's the thing, I attempted. Perfect. Awesome. So, Augie, we are almost, I think we've been talking for almost an hour. Sweet. Wow. Good, good, good. Thank you for 
coming on the podcast. I think we're going to start wrapping it up. Is there anything else that you want to share with the audience, our listeners? Um, we have listeners from all over the country and the world. Um, definitely a lot of Native, Indigenous. Actually, this this podcast, when I started, it was about health and wellness. It says positivity that kind of like to change the narrative. Like you said, there's always, you always see natives doing this and that and that. And I thought, oh, we're doing good stuff. We're doing a lot of positive things in the communities as well, all over the world. But is there anything that you want to maybe add or talk about that maybe we missed? Or I know you talked about your passions, the studio, you got your thesis, some future projects you have going on. Is there anything else? that you want to add before we uh, end the interview today? Um, I'll add with something that my uh, nephew sent me. Okay. And I think this is really cool. Because, yeah, please share. Um, JJ, I met him twice. He's my cousin Anita's son mm-hmm. from Old Pasqua. Mm-hmm. Little small kid, okay. nine years old. And he accepted me on Facebook and he wrote this thing. He goes, hey, Theo, I don't know if you remember me. I'm JJ, Anita's son. I go, I just want to tell you something, Theo. I go, and I go, Okay. And he's all like, he goes, Theo, I want to be just like you. I saw your photos and I saw everything that you're doing and how you're trying to help the community. And he told me, I thank you for serving our country. I thank you for helping me. And I thank you for being there for our people and our community. And the thing that I want to take out from that is like, you know, I met him twice. And, you know, just by getting that little bit of you know those words really touched me because that that really gave me a satisfaction in my heart that man you know what we do the kids are looking at us they're Mm -hmm. always going to be looking and we're going to be the reflection of what they want to be so my message to everyone is to show everyone be the reflection that you want people to see in you and make a difference in someone else's life because this can continue. When I'm gone and he's older, he, someone else can tell him. Mm-hmm. And it can go and it can continue that positive. Mm-hmm. That positive, you know, everything positive and, and, it, and it can help someone's life. You know, someone's life. Right. And I think that's the best advice that I can give is do something good because someone else is always watching. Right. That's, that's like super important, especially for our kids. But... Exactly. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you. And uh, thank you for being on the podcast. Oh, thank it you. It was an amazing <laughs> interview. I'm blown away. I can't wait to listen to it over again. <laughs> and uh, But um, thank you, Augie. Oh, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. And I uh, appreciate you uh, taking your time off today to, to do the podcast for us. And, uh, and you're welcome. If you want to do any future podcasts, maybe... Or exhibits you want to come back on or even do our future TED Talk events, um, you're welcome. I oh, think you're, yeah. you're doing a lot of good in the community. And uh, thank you for your service as well. Thank you. Thank you. For-